let's just start off by asking about the process. Every, every 10 years we have a census, and at what point after that does uh, redistricting start getting looked at? Well, we used to say every 10 years. Uh, now we have to have an asterisk by that. <clears throat> uh, Tom DeLay uh, proposed that uh, Texas uh, redistrict uh, in later than the, the normal time. It went to the courts. I thought surely that would be overturned and that uh, we would not have redistricting between the 10-year uh, periods. But that's not the case. So it is 10 years, uh, and um, every state constitution has a redistricting clause requiring that uh, the state be redistricted according to population figures provided by the Census Bureau in the first uh, regular session uh, after the census. So that's what, how it gets started. And then it's up to the legislature. Currently in Austin, uh, hearings are actually being held. Um, the Senate Select Committee on Redistricting held hearings just this last week to kind of get the ball rolling on their end. Um, uh, the deadline for the receipt of population data is uh, supposed to be the end of this year. Uh, and since the Texas legislature will go into session on January 11th, uh, 2011, uh, they should have the broad aggregate data by that time, but more than likely won't have all of the census breakdown until a little bit later than that. In, in, in a state like Texas, I mean, it's a big deal everywhere, but is it even bigger deal in a state like Texas where you're seeing the population continually growing, changing, and expanding? Well, to, to some extent, but redistricting mm -hmm. is important in every state. Uh, and the Texas legislature has, does not have a long history of being responsive there. Uh, in the uh, 40s and 50s, the, the real issues centered not around Democrat-Republican seats, but around urban-rural seats. And Texas was one of those states, uh, and there were a number who were rurally dominated. In 1948, the legislature, uh, as a response to public pressure, passed a constitutional amendment to try to speed things up. They created a Texas redistricting board, and if the, uh, the, the amendment specified that if the legislature did not act in the first regular session uh, after the census, then the, uh, the Texas redistricting board would step in and do it. Five-member board made up of members of the plural executive, the uh, Speaker of the House, the Lieutenant Governor, the Comptroller, uh, and uh, the officer of the general land office. And I guess I'm leaving one out uh, there. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, that has not resulted in, the, in, in speeding up the legislature. The, apparently the politics of that was people, uh, the, the, some of the people who were in office at that time thought that if there was uh, a board that would do it, it would encourage the legislature to step in and bite the bullet and, and redistrict. But it hadn't worked that, that well. One of the uh, points uh, to be made is it's, uh, it could be argued that uh, uh, a state such as Texas with a growing population base uh, uh, has an easier job of it because it's actually creating jobs uh, for legislators. Uh, a state, for example, uh, like Pennsylvania um, appears uh, likely to lose one or maybe two congressional seats this, this time around from what I've read. Uh, there are going to be a couple of people that are going to have to run against other incumbents uh, to try to get their job or to keep their job. So uh, it cuts both ways uh, in, in the way in which uh, population is growing. It does have an impact. I might 
add on uh, what uh, Tom uh, was talking about. All of this, of course, occurs in a constitutional context. It's not been, uh, it's only been since the 1960s that the Supreme Court uh, finally got involved and, and required uh, essentially equality uh, in representation so that uh, uh, the one clearly evident uh, result is that uh, districts need to be the same population size so that uh, that's the one governing principle that, that we seem to be dealing with now. Dr. Curry is exactly correct. The most vicious fights about redistricting come when a state is losing congressional districts. Now, right up front, we might want to point out, this is something that uh, at least most students don't seem to know, the state legislature draws both congressional district lines and state district lines for the House and Senate. I think just about anyone looking at it can see why the congressional districts are important, but what is so important about those state representative and state Senate districts being drawn, and why, why can those be such contentious fights sometimes? Well, basically, it's centering on how many Republicans and how many Democrats you're going to have at this time. Uh, the majority party, whichever party it is, Democrat or Republican, tend to want to draw those district lines to produce more Democrats or more Republicans. The, uh, uh, interestingly enough, the New York Times uh, was running a story just this morning about the fact that, uh, of course, projections for the midterm elections uh, are that... Uh, Republicans are likely to do better uh, than the Democrats, and uh, that now appears to be true down at the state legislative level as well, and that will have some some significant uh, ramifications for the redistricting process. If you're going to take over a state legislature, the best time to do it is right when the census uh, is delivered so that your party uh, gets to control the redistricting process, uh, and that... Uh, uh, currently appears that the Republicans, uh, from some of the projections I've seen, may pick up as many as eight to ten state legislatures um, and may have more influence uh, in drawing the district lines uh, in that state, both state and uh, U.S. congressional districts. The effect, the effect of redistricting filters all the way down through the political system. It has to do with the state budget. It has to do with public policy, what policies will be adopted and which uh, will, will not. So there's nothing more fundamental in our political system than the issue of districting. You really answered one of the questions I was going to ask. This one has even a lot of added, whether you want to say drama or importance to it, that I don't know that a lot of people even really realize because of these redistricting issues. And I think people, am I right to say, people look at governors and congressmen and senators and recognize they're a big deal. They don't always see that as much when it's their state rep or their state senator. Is that fair to say? I think it's generally true that uh, the general populace considers Washington, D.C. reps more important than state legislators, uh, and they're underestimated in terms of the significance that they play. For instance, in education, uh, whether we spend more money or less money in education is going to largely depend on the Democratic-Republican uh, mix in, in Texas and how we spend that money in education. Certainly most of the issues that uh, uh, filter out of Washington obviously have to pass some sort of um, level of uh, support or approval at the state legislative level. A lot of times uh, decisions as to where uh, federal funds are going to go through various programs is going to be affected by your uh, local representative, representatives as well as your uh, congressional representatives. And so uh, th that's very true. Um, I think we do underestimate the importance of state representatives uh, in, in our overall lives. 
I want to go back to as we look at redistricting. You mentioned uh, Dr. Myers, the board that w was set up in hopes of uh, you know, kind of moving along the process, and that it didn't do as they hoped. Why is that? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't really have a good answer oh, okay. for, 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 for that. Uh, it was thought that it would intimidate the legislature into acting. The, you know, the legislature would be thinking, well, if we don't do this, the Texas uh, redistricting board will. And I, I don't think the legislature has taken that board that seriously. Uh, in recent times, the board passed the buck, too, and it ended up being the courts that redistricted Texas uh, in um, after the 2000 census. So w what's, um, what are the ramifications of the courts doing the redistricting as opposed to the legislature? The, uh, uh, the role of the courts has become quite significant uh, in, in various ways. The, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, the, the initial concern of providing one person one vote was largely taken care of by decisions in the 60s and 70s. Uh, since that time, uh, there have been a couple of important developments. Probably one of the most important was the passage in 1965 of the Federal Voting Rights Act, uh, which, which put the federal government uh, directly into the state election business uh, by making sure states were not blocking access to the polls for certain groups of people, particularly minorities. Um, today, that constitutes one of the important areas uh, uh, over which courts have oversight, and that is to make sure that any districts that are drawn uh, are fair uh, to racial minorities uh, and that they do not attempt in some way to diminish their overall representation. Uh, there is, un there will undoubtedly uh, be a significant amount of, of uh, court time for any redistricting plan that is drawn up. Uh, almost always these are challenged in court um, on a variety of grounds. The court composition makes a big difference. It would be easy in our society to think, well, if it gets into the courts, it'll be more objective. Uh, but that is not the case. The big story in Texas politics over the last several decades has been the growth of the Republican Party. For years, I stood before my classes and explained the one-party uh, nature of Texas, the Democratic one-party nature of Texas. And uh, the Democrats are now, for all intents and purposes, the minority uh, party. Uh, if the court is made up all Republicans, then the Republicans are have an advantage when the, the courts go to redistricting. We saw an example of that just recently here in this area when the state senator, Kip Averett, resigned. There was kind of a mad race to see who would uh, replace him. And the person who won the Republican primary and in the runoff, a man by the name of Birdwell, there were issues about whether or not he had satisfied the residence requirements. Well, that went to the appellate court, and the appellate court was made up of three Republicans. And uh, the, in, the, the actions of the court uh, were such that they stepped aside of the, the major issue. They, they did not decide whether or not he had met the residence or not. They used a technicality to avoid making a decision partisan influence there. Now, I'm not just trying to blame the Republicans. Had that been a three-member Democratic court, there would have been a Democratic bias there. So the, the courts are political, particularly when it comes to redistricting. Well, let me ask you about the last redistricting process. You know, you, you hear stories about, 
you know, names like Pete Sessions and Chet Edwards and supposed rivalries and whether or not so-and-so was tried to be, they tried to redistrict them out of their seat. What, can you just give us a little primer, a little background about the last session? Well, well sure. Uh, you're talking about the delay uh, plan, I, I, I presume. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, the big story in Texas politics has been the growth of the Republicans. But when you looked at the congressional delegation, it was still dominated by Democrats. And DeLay said, hey, wait a minute, uh, with Republican growth, there ought to be uh, more Republicans than Democrats. And he correctly attributed that Democratic dominance to the Democratic control of the state legislature. So when the Republicans finally took over uh, the Texas legislature, he moved in to correct that. I don't personally think highly of Tom DeLay, but his uh, motivation, I think, was well justified. He brought the congressional alignment uh, to be more consistent with the Democratic-Republican positions in Texas. We went from a Democratic-dominated a con- congressional delegation to a uh, Republican-dominated congressional, de- 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 dominated, dominated by the Republicans. The uh, uh, in this area in which we are located here in uh, in Waco, of course, uh, Chet Edwards stands uh, out as a, a symbol of uh, quite an exception to the delay-inspired uh, uh, redistricting. Uh, and many people around this area perhaps have not, because of that, seen, uh, as Dr. Myers points out, the broad effect. But uh, uh, it is uh, very clear that uh, in most of the districts, except the one in which we are sitting today, uh, the effects of that redistricting were very swift. Uh, and many longtime Democrat incumbents uh, lost their jobs uh, as a result of the elections coming from that. Chet Edwards was the only one of the people at DeLay focused on who won. He has an outstanding record of running uh, upstream. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the district was changed such. uh, The bottom south of the district was, uh, the old District 11 was cut off, and the district was shifted north into the Burleson area, and it ended up with uh, more Republicans than uh, Democrats in a Democrats district. Uh, and uh, you'd normally expect uh, th- that to re- result in a Republican uh, victory. It uh, it did not, as a matter of fact. That that the first one was Chet versus Arlene Wolgamuth back yes. in, in 2004. Yes. And that district was drawn for her. Wolgamuth was a member of the legislature, and so that district was drawn to uh, provide her with the best opportunity to win. You mentioned when you're talking about the districts being redrawn to more reflect the um, you know, reflect the growing Republican influence in the state. How much of that is it? Ju- is it just politics, or is it more to it than that? Well, just politics covers uh, a wide range of sure. uh, alternatives. It, it has to do with uh, accuracy of representation. There are long-time, long-standing areas that are just used to having their own representative. Uh, Here's where it gets very uh, sticky sometimes. Uh, One of the concerns, of course, always in Waco, uh, to be local again, uh, is that Waco uh, will be diminished uh, in its influence by having its population perhaps split up between 
two different uh, uh, districts. And that periodically comes up. In fact, that was raised as part of the uh, of the uh, issue during the last redistricting. And uh, a lot of effort undertaken uh, to keep it from happening. Uh, we had a Republican senator, uh, Senator Averett, who, who I think played a pretty strong role in keeping um, that from, from occurring. But uh, there are a lot of ways that district lines can be cut up mm-hmm. to, uh, to change the political equation. And it's, it is just politics, but as Dr. Morris pointed out, that covers a multitude of yeah. uh, activities. Mm-hmm. Now, let, let's say that it's, uh, the, the 2010 election is over. We go into the next legislative session. When can people expect to start hearing about redistricting and what what are some things they should be watching for listening for well it will start uh, immediately as the legislature gears up to redistrict um i want to co- i want to come back to something before sure. i pursue uh, that <clears throat> seniority is a major factor in legislative bodies both in congress and the state uh, houses and when a long-term incumbent is defeated, uh, that uh, lessens the influence of that particular district. So we're going to hear a great deal about um, the role of seniority. Keep me because I'm a senior member and I can have more influence than a freshman member uh, would. Particularly in Congress, committee position is so fundamentally based on seniority. Uh, I'm not campaigning for or against anybody, but if uh, a new person, if if Edwards loses and Flores is elected, Flores is not going to be able to make claim to the important committee assignments that Edwards has. Now, that's that's not a justifiable reason for simply maintaining the status quo. Um, Might also point out that, uh, that seniority is related to campaign skills. Uh, an incumbent has an advantage in knowing how to use his resources. They also have an advantage in terms of obtaining resources. So I, I think that in this campaign, we have already seen uh, the effect of uh, knowledge about how to campaign, how to position oneself, what not to say at an inopportune time. I thought it was interesting. You know, we hear a lot about anti-incumbent sentiment and there seems to be a push you know th- th- there seems to be a push for new faces fresh blood and I thought it was interesting that even at the state senator level I mean David Sibley is a w- was a well-known well-respected you know well-respected name in the community and he was defeated by a man that I think most people know very little about and that could be something that plays out in, in other districts I'm guessing as well that we could very well see I, I was shocked by Sibley's loss. I assumed that he would mm-hmm. uh, win handily, and, of course, he did not. Uh, I, I, I don't know that that's so much connected to anti-incumbency sentiment as it is. Uh, I, I think the rest of this district was sort of tired of having a uh, senator from from Waco. Okay. Uh, I think it kind of reverted back to that urban-rural uh, mm-hmm. matter. Looking at the at the voting breakdown, it, it's very obvious that uh, uh, former Senator Sibley uh, did very, very well in McLennan County and Falls County, but uh, the northern counties just really took him out because they were they were all lined up against him. I see. Well, as we look ahead uh, past these elections again, you know, we start hearing about 
hear accusations of gerrymandering and to the things of that nature. How are they going to uh, look to start drawing up these lines? Well, of course, they never start from scratch. They start with the districts as they sure. exist and then look uh, at uh, what effect uh, a shift west or a shift east or north would, uh, would have. And so we're going to have to kind of wait and see uh, what uh, the governor uh, has has in mind and the lieutenant governor and the speaker of the house they're the ones that are going to set the direction of uh, changes that uh, that will be made and this is uh, the process is no longer perhaps what it might have been uh, many years ago with a bunch of people sitting around uh, sort of drawing maps on a mm-hmm. piece of paper this is all very high tech now there uh, is a lot of data uh, that comes from the census a lot of demographics uh, a lot of sophisticated mapping techniques that are used, and you can use the computer in a way that you can move a line just a little bit, and you can immediately sort of see the effect that that will have on the population and that perhaps the makeup to some extent of of the population in terms of partisan leanings uh, and the like. And so um, there are some very sophisticated people engaged in this process, even though it's about a lot of politicians. Uh, uh, there'll be hearings. Um, ongoing in both the House and the Senate down in Austin. Uh, A lot of expert testimony, a lot of consultants uh, who are making money doing this, uh, people who have a lot at stake in the redistricting process. And, uh, you know, as uh, Dr. Myers uh, knows uh, better than I, the Texas legislature uh, doesn't always get its business done by the time uh, the session is over, by uh, May 30th of 2011. And so uh, that's kind of the deadline for uh, for when they have to have something out, or there will have to be a special session, or we're back to the redistricting board, uh, as was mentioned. You mentioned gerrymandering. Uh, gerrymandering is a term that is synonymous with weird shapes produced to work to the advantage of some or the disadvantages of, of others. We have to keep in mind that there's no perfect shape for a, a district. Uh, one of the rules that the court used at an earlier time in judging the appropriateness of a district was the notion of contingency, that it should be a regionally compact district. But uh, that's only a very rough guideline. Uh, traditional boundaries play a role uh, in the shape of those, uh, those districts. When a district says the same over a time period, it provides the public with a greater opportunity to know who their representatives are and to learn something about those representatives, thereby making a more intelligent uh, vote. So I I think there is something to be said for making only minimal changes that are dictated by population changes. That makes sense. I thought the question I had for you, too, you mentioned that there's going to be a lot of stakeholders trying to exert influence over this process. Who are some of these these stakeholders? Lobbyists. Um, lobbyists have established relationships with long-term members of representational bodies. They don't want to lose those contacts, or they're major uh, players. Uh, cities and counties are major players uh, in, in that. Well, and other, of course, st- the primary stakeholders in the whole thing are the uh, elected representatives. And, uh, you know, it has been said that uh, redistricting is kind of turning democracy uh, upside down. Uh, in a democracy, uh, voters select their leaders. Uh, in redistricting, leaders actually select their voters. Uh, they're looking for the best mix possible. Mm-hmm. And so 
being an incumbent during a redistricting year, as Dr. Morris pointed out with respect to the uh, the uh, earlier Edwards-Wolgamuth uh, uh, contest, uh, being there is very important uh, as an incumbent because you are, in a way, participating in choosing your own voters uh, in the upcoming elections. Well, and now you're perhaps choosing voters for districts that don't even exist right now. Let's talk about the role. Tell me a little bit about the role that the expanding population is going to play and how vital these extra seats, how valuable, I should say, they could prove to be. Expanding population, of course, is the driving force of, uh, of reimportionment. Uh, so the areas that are experiencing the greatest population growth are the ones that are likely to see changes in their district uh, boundaries. And, and it is, from what we understand, uh, uh, the largest increase in the population in Texas is likely to be Hispanic. Uh, the increased Hispanic population uh, probably concentrated more in certain urban areas uh, will uh, bring about uh, some significant changes. And of course it then begins to raise the issue of districts and uh, sort of factoring in that elusive ethnicity factor and keeping voting strengths from becoming diluted uh, by dividing up groups and so forth. So there are going to be a lot of people watching this very closely uh, because of the growth in population. But I would say that, uh, back to something I talked about earlier, when your state is losing population, you really kind of go through the same yeah. thing uh, sure. because it's, uh, it's a matter of scrambling around and trying to, to figure out where uh, you're going to put uh, uh, your claim uh, on voters. Add into this mix that most of our Hispanic population is affiliated with the Democratic Party. And so in this upcoming district redistricting, the Republicans are going to have to uh, consider the partisan mix of that growing population. And diluting the influence of a minority is one of the things that can uh, play an important role in court approval or disapproval of redistricting. So I uh, I don't think it's unfair to say that the Republicans are going to need to distribute uh, that Hispanic population through as many different districts as possible in order to maintain the Republican advantage. Obviously, there's a level in which it's obvious that someone's trying to do that. But is there is there a lot of gray area? Is that something that's difficult to, to prove or to see? Oh, definitely. Uh, most of it's gray, as a matter of fact. And you have to look at the intent of the legislature, and that is an almost impossible thing to ascertain on an objective basis. But when you see huge amounts of Hispanics uh, or minority voters switched into one district to concentrate them in that district, that's a pretty sure indication of dilution. And when you've got a new congressional seat, a new Republican or a Democrat going to, to Washington, you know, on any level you want to take that, how... How valuable is something like that? Uh, it, it is difficult to calculate uh, the influence um, of a United States representative to a state, except to say, uh, in, a, in a very broad kind of way, that mm -hmm. uh, this is another voice in Washington representing the people of the state. It's another person sitting on committees that play direct role. Whether they're a senior person or not, they nevertheless have a vote. Uh, they're going to be in a position to influence some decisions. Um, and uh, it, it's very difficult. Let's put it this way. Uh, given a choice, there's not a state in the union that wouldn't choose to gain a representative mm -hmm. rather than to lose one.
Certainly. There's a rough connection between the number of representatives that a state has and the amount of money, federal money, that comes into uh, to a state. Now, one can't say one district versus this, the ratio, set the ratio exactly, but uh, another representative from Texas will increase the influence of Texas. Uh, most delegations, the Democrats and Republicans, make an effort to vote together on issues that are not uh, strictly uh, partisan issues. Vote as voters look at this 2010 midterm election. What should they be focused on? Should, you know, I don't know that a lot of them are really aware of the redistricting. Th- that's correct. Our, our basic survey research indicates that the average voter is not thinking in terms of redistricting. Uh, they're thinking in terms of the personalities, the political makeup of of the candidates. Uh, rarely does the average voter enter into their voting decision, what effect this will have on reapportionment or what effect reapportionment will have on anything else uh, in, in, in politics. And the voters, uh, um, you know, they're, they're people who are living no- normal, ordinary lives, uh, and if they're losing their job or uh, finding it difficult to make ends meet or pay their health insurance premiums or whatever, those are the issues that are going to drive them to the polls, uh, and they're going to try to figure out uh, who... Uh, would appear to give them the best opportunity to put themselves in a better position. So I would agree that redistricting is not going to be probably even in the top ten reasons that a person is going to go to the polls this time. It's the political professionals who concern themselves with redistricting and its results. And I'm just curious for you all as political scientists, and I know Dr. Myers looking at Texas state politics is something you know that's a real focus for you. How fascinating is it for you all to watch this process play out each time that it does? Well, it's fundamental politics. Um, it's a chance to observe politics at, uh, at, at its core in a kind of an unadulterated form. It, it's, it's raw politics, power plays uh, by the various parties and the personalities. You talk about uh, gray areas, and there are gray areas in lots of politics. There are a lot of concessions that are made and compromises. But when you get down to that final drawing of a single line that is going to determine uh, essentially the pattern of representation, you can't really get any more basic than that uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to, to really the core issue. So obviously, as political scientists, we this is uh, redistricting is... Is, uh, is our busy season, I guess you might say, because it's one of the times that we're, we're drawn to, to observing politics in, in action. It's quite amusing to watch this. As a matter of fact, it produces some humor at times. Back in the 70s, there was something called the Dirty 30, and uh, the uh, dominant group, Gus Mutcher, uh, introduced a bill that sounded quite innocuous. It moved a district line so many feet one way and so many feet uh, another. And when you drew it up on the map, what they had done was they had crossed a road and picked up one block where a member of the Dirty 30 lived and combined it with another district uh, where another Dirty 30 member uh, lived and functioned. They had figured out, obviously, that you put two members of an opposition group in the same district and one of them is going to lose. So it's produced some rather humorous uh, situations. Another situation came when Gus Mutcher uh, stood before the the House watching a motion to move his district, uh, and a black member from Houston introduced this rather complex uh, 
move or change in his district. And when they looked at it, uh, it uh, moved uh, the uh, state prison in Huntsville into Mutcher's district. The member then pointed out that that would allow Mutcher to live in uh, the district where, to, to represent the district where he lived uh, mm-hmm. after they after he was imprisoned. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Once again.